hey, hey, and welcome to What She Said with Candace Sampson. This is the second show for me coming to you from my self-isolation to what I hope is your self-isolation. Normally at the top of the show, I would have some interesting news to share with you, but I'm going to put this time at the top uh, aside for a big fat thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart to all of our healthcare workers out there. Thank you to all of our first responders, to our grocery clerks and our delivery drivers. As a nation, all Canadians see you and we are so, so grateful for you right now. And to all of my listeners who are at home doing their very best to plank this curve by staying at home, I have a great show for you today. So let's get to it. First, if empty shelves and the strain of stocking your kitchen has stressed you out in this past week, then you can only imagine the strain on the thousands of Canadians who rely on donations made to food banks across the country. Joining me on the show today is Kirsten Beerflow in maintaining our health, both mental and physical, as we navigate this crisis. So Alana McGinn from Goodnight Sleep Site is here for an extended segment to share her five best sleep tips for every member of the family as we work through COVID-19. Ontario care caregivers are feeling the strain of COVID-19 more than most of us. In the third of a four-part series with the Ontario Caregivers Organization, Amy Kapal is joining me to discuss the importance of peer support for our more than 3.3 million caregivers across the province. And in a little bit of more good news for caregivers, Mark Stolo, the president of the Canadian Caregiver Network and CEO of Huddle, is here to discuss the Caregiver Friendly Pharmacy Online Program and how it's helping improve communications between caregivers and pharmacists nationwide. Finally, the show must go on, and Anne Brody joins me with all the best movies and shows you can't miss from the comfort of your living room as we all work together to plank the curve. So let's get rolling. just spoke to a Meridian advisor about variable versus fixed rate mortgages, and they told me that... Variable rates change based on Meridian's prime rate. Exactly. And that... You could pay your mortgage down faster if Meridian's prime rate goes down. How did you know? I spoke with an advisor, too. So, let's get... A a Meridian 5-year variable rate mortgage at 2.90%. Totally. Apply today at meridianmortgages.ca or visit a Meridian branch. Rates subject to change without notice. Some restrictions apply. 2.90% APR assumes the typical example of a new mortgage. Kristen Beardsley is the Chief Network Services Officer for Food Banks Canada. She has devoted the last six years of her career to supporting a network of provincial associations, affiliate food banks, and food agencies that work at the community level to relieve hunger. And more, no more than ever is her role needed uh, with the onset of COVID-19. Welcome to the show, Kirsten. Thank you for having me. I wish we were having you here under uh, better circumstances. I can't imagine the stress the food banks must be under right now. It's, it's unprecedented times and we're all feeling it, but um, the food banks are um, really at the front of serving the communities during times that are incredibly difficult. 
they've done an incredible job. They're adapting daily to the, to the realities. Uh, but we know um, through our global connections to food banks around the world and in countries where um, they've been dealing with COVID-19 for a while, um, that this, this um, reality, this new reality we're all living in is making the plight of people who are experiencing um, that uh, it's a challenging time because the food bankers are really doing a lot of work uh, to make sure that they keep communities fed and it's not easy work. So tell me what the last um, week was like because it must have been a massive um, unexpected, relatively unexpected uh, onslaught of people in need. Yeah, so what we're seeing, what we're hearing from the food banks is that more people are coming to the doors. So we know that um, we've all got people in our lives who have had incomes cut because they're in um, jobs that aren't, aren't functioning right now. So we're worried about the uptick in need. We're also worried about um, food stores. So food banks are looking now, some of them have, you know, between seven and 10 days worth of supply on their shelves. And they're um, stressed about uh, replenishing that just as we all go to the grocery store and see things, you know, there are things that are missing. Um, food banks are worried about that. Um, you know, we've seen the, the reduction of food donations um, in some markets that's down 50%. So food banks are really feeling the stress. And then on top of that, one of the things um, that some people don't think about is that food banks are powered by volunteers. Mm-hmm. And Right now, a lot of those volunteers are people in their golden years, um, retired folks who are uh, being advised and and rightfully not to to congregate. Um, We've also got corporate groups that um, come together to help sort food. And so food banks are really feeling the pinch. They're worried about food stores. They know more people are going to need their services, um, at least in that gap before the government uh, support start flowing into people's bank accounts. And they're seeing drastic reductions in the people they have available to them to, to, um, to support the need. So these are critical times for food banks um, and they're adapting and they're responding, but it is a really challenging situation on the ground. Okay, so let's talk first about then donations because I mean, it's not like now we can load up our car with cans and drop them off at the food bank. Uh, so what is the best way that we can help? I'm assuming that is just straight cash donations that we can do online? Absolutely. So um, we're encouraging Canadians to go to their local food bank and give online. Um, Food Banks Canada has launched a a bold campaign, $150 million campaign, which you can donate to at uh, foodbankscanada.ca. We believe that the food banks are going to need our support as Canadians now more than ever. And so all of that funding will be going out to the food bank system so that they can purchase food, um, so that they can maintain staffing levels, and they can adapt their services and their distribution. Um, in in light of COVID-19 and make sure they're keeping people as safe as possible. Okay, and so let's talk about a little bit about the volunteer aspect of it then, because as you said, a lot of your volunteers are seniors and now they are unable to help. If people want to volunteer and want to help, uh, same place that they can go to? Yeah, go go visit your local food bank. Some food banks are limiting, um, you know, they're limiting to staff. They've got redeployed their administrative staff and their financial services staff to stocking food and working in the in the warehouses. Um, some food banks are asking for volunteers, but those volunteers will have to go through a little bit extra training in terms of safe food handling and hygiene practices. So it really is checking in with your local food bank and seeing what their needs are and really responding to those needs however 
wherever that food bank is asking you to help out. Um, but we really appreciate the assistance and please know that um, the food banking system really needs your support in these times. Yeah, that's why it was important for us to have you on today because um, even just myself, I felt that anxiety in the grocery store last week and it really hit home for me when I saw those bags at the front for the food bank that um, this is a feeling a lot of Canadians have dealt with for a lot longer than most of us have. Yeah, and and when we have, I you know, we got public advice to build, you know, build some some reserves at home in case you were under you you know you had to self isolate completely and weren't able to get to the grocery store. And that advice, when you are already dealing with food insecure, is incredibly stressful because you already are struggling to feed your families and put food on the table for your families. It's unrealistic to expect that you will be able to um, build a uh, a two-week supply. And so what we were hearing from the food banks is that there was a lot of stress. Families were feeling a lot of stress. And so what food banks did in response was they upped the amount of food. A lot of food banks are giving out more food um, both because people need the, the the stores at home, but also that means they have to come into the food bank less. So we're limiting contact. So they're giving out more food, and they're giving out um, they're they're packaging it differently so that people can just easily come to the food bank, grab a box of food, and then get home and and know that they are taking care of their families during this time. But yeah, the stress is is pretty um, pretty high for families who are feeling food insecure right now. I can't imagine. So I want to keep in touch with you um, over the next, the coming months, because I feel we're in for the long haul with this. So let's keep uh, sharing. And as you have some numbers and things that you want to share, please come back and let us know. Absolutely. And we, we want to tell that story. And what I have to say is that I'm so inspired by the food banking system and the, the, the volunteers and the staff at food banks. They're doing heroic work, and I don't think that's an exaggeration. They've overnight changed distribution models. They're, some food banks are doing drive-by distribution, so you pull up, pop your trunk, and the food goes in your trunk or they're doing distribution by conveyor belt, they've really quickly adapted, responding to you know, public health advice, um, and they're getting food to the people in need. And I just um, I really encourage everyone to go to their local food bank's website or go to foodbankscanada.ca and do what you can. Um, right now, that's the best thing is to give funds. Um, but over time, I think I agree with you, this is an evolving story and we'll continue to see food banks stepping up and supporting communities. Amazing. Well, please, please uh, convey my thanks uh, uh, to, to food banks uh, everywhere. They're doing an amazing job, and we're very, very grateful to have you all uh, working so hard for us. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Okay. Bye, Kristen. Take care. Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. There's never been a better time to start your spring cleaning routine and Need a Bin is ready to help. With touchless drop-off and pickup, you can clear your clutter and get your home the cleanest it's ever been without worrying. Call 1-86-NEED-A-BIN or book online at needabin.net. 105.9 The Region.
I'm Ann Romer. There have been so many cancellations, postponements, and alterations to many public events. The list of what's not open and what's not going ahead is changing by the minute. Head to our website, 1059theregion.com. Click on the What's On tab to see which plans need to be altered. If you would like to have your event details updated, email info at 1059theregion.com. Listen to 1059 The Region for breaking news headlines on COVID-19. 1059 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 1059 The Region. Mr. Sandman, bring me a dream. Make him the cutest that I've ever seen. Give him two lips like roses and clover. And tell him that his lonesome nights are... Alana McGinn is founder and certified sleep expert of Good Night Sleep Sight, a global sleep consulting practice. She serves on the faculty of the Family Sleep Institute. She is a certified stress management coach and is host of This Girl Loves Sleep podcast. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you here because I feel like right now, more than ever, we need you. You're like our hero right now, our sleep hero, Alana. <laughs> no, I am not. Compared to what like all the everyone else is doing, I am not. But yes, if I can share any kind of sleep wisdom that will help people sleep better, I'm more than happy to. Right. So I think that as stress rises naturally, we sort of sleep suffers typically. For sure. I mean, we're seeing, you know, we're seeing disrupted sleep routines for many reasons. One is there's not a huge lot of routine right now, right? A lot of us are home, kids are off of school, you know, we're not working. Um, so there really isn't a reason in the morning to wake up at a certain time like usual um, or go to bed even at a certain time. So we're seeing, a, you know, a real disruption in sleep routine. And then obviously, like you said, you know, this is a crazy, crazy time and we're feeling the stress. Everyone's anxiety is, is at an all-time high and, and that's going to attribute to poor sleep as well for sure. Okay, so let's talk a little bit then about what uh, lack of sleep can do to a person. Right. So now, you know, nowadays is, you know, if you talk to any kind of healthcare professional or anything, you know, in, in order to now is, is the time where we want to try and be as healthy as we can be. Um, and two key factors in that, in my opinion, is getting really great sleep and good quality sleep and eating well. Um, so now is the time where you actually really want to be focusing on your sleep because that's going to boost your immune system. Um, it's going to just help us feel better day to day. You know, many of us are home with our kids right now um, and patients can be low at times. <laughs> I have three kids. I can understand this. Um, and we want to be well rested. I mean, we want to be well rested so that, you know, we have better patience with our children. We are in better moods. We also want our kids to be better rested so that, you know, they're in better moods and, and easier temperaments. Um, so across the board, uh, sleep can definitely help us in this, in this time of need for sure. Okay. So you have five ways, uh, for the whole family, uh, to sleep well during this, uh, this pandemic and through this very stressful time that we're all under. And let's face it, we're looking at probably weeks, if not months of, of this sort of, uh, living. So right. what's the first thing we need to do? 
So I always say this is a great time. I mean, despite what we're going through, this is actually a great time of year to kind of take, take, give your room an audit and not just your room, but your children's room as well. You know, we're heading into the spring season. The weather's changing. Our mornings are a lot brighter. Our evenings are a lot lighter. So, you know, reevaluate what's going on in your bedroom. Our bedroom really should be for sleep only, sleep and sex only. But let's just talk about sleep today. <laughs> um, really should be for sleep only, right? So, um, you know, do we need to perhaps declutter our bedrooms? What, what I tend to see happening is throughout the winter months, our rooms tend to become our catch-all room. It becomes our home office. It becomes our kids' playroom. It becomes our entertainment center. And now probably more than ever, because we're stuck in a house, um, there's a lot going on in our bedroom probably other than sleeping. So declutter the bedroom and really set it up for sleep success. Give your night table that audit. You know, do we need to remove that tech from the night table? Um, even our kids, you know, start to declutter some toys and have them help, you know, provide the bins that every night they can kind of clear out there and clean up the room a little bit um, to help uh, clean the room so that it's, it's just more inviting to sleep. Um, even going as far as changing bedding, you know, if you have a big, thick winter today, you can have different bedding compared to what season that we're going into. So do we need lighter feel um, fabrics? Do we need more breathable fabrics? Um, even colors, you know, choosing a lighter color doesn't attend, uh, doesn't uh, tend to absorb the sun as much. So it kind of, um, it keeps away the heat. Um, so, you know, going as far as even changing your bedding in your bedroom can definitely help you sleep better and darkening up the room. Cause like I said, especially with our kids, right? This is when we are really getting, uh, lighter in the morning, lighter at bedtime, we're telling them to go to bed and the sun's still out. So especially for our little kiddos, um, darkening up the room, installing things like blackout blinds, toddler clocks for our really little kids who can't tell the time quite yet and don't understand, well, why are you telling me to go to bed when the sun's still out? Um, it just gives them that visual cue um, that you know it's time to go to bed. And then also that it's time to wake up in the morning. Actually, I have a question for you about that. You know, For people who still keep those old style alarm clocks in their room, mm-hmm. um, that light can be disruptive to you, right? While you're sleeping. So is it better to have the blue light or the red light? I remember reading something about this at one point. Yeah, no, that's a great question. We want to stay away from any kind of white or blue light. Um, So for instance, if you're going to choose the old school alarm clocks, which I do recommend people choosing, not their phones, but we'll talk about that soon. Um, You know, focus on um, warm color hues. So reds, oranges, yellows, um, nothing too bright and too too big uh, in terms of you're looking at the digital. Analog clocks are great too. Um, you know, you can still set the alarm clock on those um, and they don't have the bright light. So some people are more sensitive to light than others. So know yourself. If you have an alarm clock that has a blue front or a green front and doesn't really affect you, don't worry about it. But also turn the clock around. You know, what, what tends to happen too is we tend to start clock watching especially in this day and age when you're waking up in the middle of the night and your brain just starts flooding and you're not able to fall back asleep. Um, but you know, you need to, you know, you need to get those hours in when that clock is beside you. We've all done it, right? If I fall asleep now, I'll get two hours. If I fall asleep now, I'll get one hour. And that can just add to that anxiety. So set your alarm. uh, If you need your alarm on, um, and turn your clock around, you know, you don't really need to know what time it is other than it's just time to go to sleep and you can trust that your alarm will wake you up in the morning. Do you think now is a good time to try and get on a schedule of waking up naturally for people who don't have to rush to work, say at nine o'clock anymore? Do you think maybe now is a good time to start experimenting with that? Because I never use an alarm clock. I always just wake up uh, at 6.30, you know, sometimes just between 6.30 and 6.45, I just naturally wake up. 
Right. And, and actually that's a key point, a key element in sleep hygiene. So sleep hygiene are the steps and practices that we take to uh, obtain optimal sleep health. And one of them is keeping consistent, a consistent schedule. And this is actually one of my five points that, that can help us now in sleeping better is having, even though we don't have much of a routine now, and I know it's hard, even in my house, we tend to be going to bed a little bit later and sleeping in a little bit more, but try and keep that set routine as best you can because that will actually help you wake up more naturally. So when we're going to bed at a similar time each night, when we're waking up at a similar time each morning, um, that's going to help kind of reset our natural body clock and actually wake up a lot easier. And like you said, when you do wake up, open up the blinds, get immersed in that natural light. I mean, that is the best way to kind of suppress that melatonin, which is what we want to do in the morning time. And help us wake up more uh, more naturally with our kids too. You know, go in their rooms, open up the blinds, get them in front of that that bright sunlight. Okay, so we're going to audit our sleep space. We're going to uh, make maintain structure with our sleep schedule. That's very important. Uh, you talk about an eighty twenty rule. Yes. So when I say you know keep those consistent routines, always practice. We always talk about practicing that eighty twenty rule. So eighty percent of the time, keep things as consistent as you can in terms of like I said, what time you're going to bed when you're waking up in the morning, uh, in terms of children, where they're sleeping as consistent a sleep space as possible. So 80-20 rule across the board for all ages of the family. And then 20% of the time you want to stay up late one night, you're going to want to sleep in every now and then, you know, kids naps are going to be missed for whatever reason, late bedtimes, not a big deal. But if you can keep that 80-20 rule pretty consistently, you can live a pretty well-rested life and maintain that, um, that lack of sleep debt that we always want to avoid um, pretty well. Okay, so this next one I think we're going to have to tackle. Uh, I'm a little worried about this one because I feel like people are trapped in their home and screens are pretty much everywhere. They are. And I mean, listen, they are in my house too. I have three kids. You know, it, mama has to work. Dad has to work. Screens are on. I'm not going to lie. Um, but, you know, we can still give ourselves that tech curfew. So the reason why we don't want screens on at bedtime are for a few reasons. One is we talked about that bright light, right? That blue LED light, that white light. Think of your brain as having a sleep switch. And when we're in front of that bright screen, because a lot of people say, well, I can watch TV and I fall asleep fine and I have no issues. You could be sleeping, but we can't just focus on the quantity of sleep that we need. We also have to focus on the quality of sleep that we're getting. And especially today, in terms of staying as healthy as we can, that quality of sleep is so important. So when you're falling asleep after staring at that bright screen, it's almost like we turn that sleep switch off in our brain. So yes, you're sleeping, but your brain and your body still feels like it's awake. So we're not able to get into that deep restorative sleep that we really need to be getting into. The other reason why we want to turn off those screens, both for ourselves and for our kids, is what are we reading? What are we watching? I know for myself, I have had to step away from social media um, because I was falling down a rabbit hole. I was just constantly reading everything, every breaking news, everything that was coming out, and it was really affecting my own mental mental health. Um, my husband as well. <laughs> I gave him a news news curfew. He's got to stop watching the news because it was getting too much. So well, literally yesterday, I noticed that the breaking news was breaking in on the breaking news that had broken to break in the breaking news. It's just like, it's just nonstop right now. It's nonstop. So one actually little tip that I actually did for myself just to sidebar is I actually just chose three sources that I'm going to check in on and that's it. Everything else I'm blocking out because I mean, listen, the information is good and we need that information to be prepared and to be preventative. Absolutely. But it's, it's too much. And I, I get it. 
But so, you know, choose a couple sources that you can trust, that you feel are trustworthy, and just focus on those, and that's it. So, um, so we need to step away the, from the tech for that, and for our kids too, because we're also, you know, they're they're doing whatever they're doing on their tech, um, but then they're also hearing the conversations that we're having from what we're reading on this tech and not realizing that they're listening and they got little ears, right? So um, we need to remove the tech from that. So what I do always say is give yourself that tech curfew because like I said, I'm a parent of three. I'm not going to tell you no screen time. This is not the time for limited screen time. I get it. Um, but you can turn off all tech at least 60 minutes before you go to bed. So you're preparing your body, you're preparing your brain for sleep. Um, 90 minutes, if you can do it, would be even better. Um, and get that family docking station in your home, you know, and, and have everybody plug in overnight, especially with our teens and our tweens. Um, we're seeing a lot more tech in their bedrooms. And, you know, we can't be telling them to leave their phones in the kitchen docking and then they see us bringing our phones into our bedroom. So really take it on as a family. Um, but then there's also tech that, that is also really good that we should be encouraging, especially now, you know, um, I just downloaded the Facebook messenger for kids for my kids so they can talk to their classmates and so much good, look what we can do, like that, what we're able to do and chatting with family and friends. So, you know, there's tech that's encouraged, but try and give yourself those boundaries and limits, I think is important. Okay. And so you also suggest that families stay active, which is probably going to be a little bit more challenging uh, considering the rules and restrictions that are happening right now. But um, why is activity so important for sleep? Well, for, I mean, it's important, you know, provided you're abiding by the boundaries and, and rules that we have in terms of social distance, distancing and things like that. And, you know, working with uh, the parks and, and all their rules, um, it's important to kind of get out and get that fresh air if you can, when you can, for, for a few reasons. Obviously, that fresh air and natural air and just getting your legs moving, getting daily exercise is one of the three pillars of health. When I was talking about sleeping well and eating well, Exercise, you know, those are the three pillars right there and they all work hand in hand. So making sure you're getting in at least those 30 minutes of exercise each day. Um, it helps build our drive for sleep. Really, that's our goal. From the moment we wake up in the morning, we want to be building a drive for sleep throughout the day so that it's a lot easier for us to fall asleep at night. So when we're le leading very, um, very non-active lives, we're not able to build up that drive. And that's when you could have trouble falling asleep at night. So getting your body moving, but it doesn't even have to be outside, though I encourage walking if you can and if we're still able to, provided you're giving yourself that, you know, that distance. Um, but you know, there's a lot of great online platforms and apps now that you can do as a family and you can download and you can do workouts in the basement. Um, there's a lot of great companies that are really just helping everybody throughout this time. Um, and really getting that, that daily activity and that, that providing that resource that families need, which uh, I encourage as well. Okay. So this last one I feel is important and we might actually need to come back and do an entire segment on just it, but we yeah. have about a minute and 30 seconds left here. So let's talk about mindfulness because I think it's crucial right now. Yeah. I mean, listen, this is the time where we really need to kind of quiet our brain. So again, staying away from that tech at bedtime will help, but things like, you know, bedtime yoga, mindful breathing. I'm a huge fan of mindful breathing and there's a lot of different, and this is for both all ages for kids up to adults. There's a lot of different mindful breathing techniques that you can do. Just Google it online and you can find a technique that works well for your family. And again, take it on as a family. Um, and, and a lot of great apps and podcasts, the calm app. I can't talk about that app enough. That is a great meditative app that 
helps guide you through it. Um, and with kids, you know, listen, our kids are really struggling right now in terms of their own anxiety and their own stress. A great technique that I use with my own kids is choose a better story when they go to bed. So if you know their brains are kind of racing and they're a little worried and stuff, you know, what else can they think about? So, you know, what would you want to do for your birthday party? Or, you know, what do you think your, your pet, your family pet does when we're not home? What do you think they get into? You know, what would be your favorite vacation? Um, my son is a huge, um, uh, oh God, I can't think of the name now. I want to say Mindbuster, but it's not Mindbuster. Um, Minecraft. Minecraft. How did I forget that? Stressful <laughs> times. Like not Mindbuster. Minecraft. So you know, there was one day where you know he was having trouble. So I said, okay, you know what? Create a little Minecraft world in your head, and what would it look like, and how would you design it? And it helped him get to bed. So choose a better story. Try and trying to retrain how they're thinking a little bit. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today, Alana. I think we're going to have you back again to talk about this. I feel we're in for the long haul. Thanks so much. Mr. Sandman, someone to hold, someone to hold, would be so peachy before we're too old, so please turn on your magic beam, Mr. Sandman, bring us, please, 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 Mr. Sandman, bring us a dream. Still being picked on for being picky? Perfect. Meridian's good-to-grow high-interest savings account was made for you. At Meridian, we say be picky. Order that half-calf, half-sweet, no-foam latte with whip. <sighs> Try on your whole closet until your outfit is outstanding. Yay! And accept nothing less than 3% interest for four months when you open your first good-to-grow high-interest savings account. Meridian, expecting more for your money. That's wealth esteem. Terms and conditions apply. You now from her home studio is the lovely Ann Brody and I hope she's here to save us because we're all bored. Hello. <laughs> the reality is really hitting now, isn't it? It's actually, it hit pretty quickly when I started to organize my spice drawer. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I was, and I thought maybe that was kind of fun. So I think the reality is setting in. <laughs> so save me, Ann. What I will. Okay, well, okay, so we'll get to more lighthearted stuff, but the first one is going to be trending hard. It's called Tate, um, and it's, uh, it's incredible, and it's actually based on a true story. You never find out whose, but so an actress in New York puts tapes all over her body, cameras all over her body, and goes to an audition where a bunch of girls are clamoring for this man's attention, and he sort of speaks to them all individually, and she follows him. And she follows the girl he picks and he follows them through a couple of days of grooming and then into this factory for a, an audition of just the two of them. And one of the cameras is directly on the girl's face in bed and it's just devastating. Oh my God. This is, I've never seen a film like this. It's, it looks experimental, but the em emotional wallop of it is incredible. Well, I have to admit, I watched the trailer you sent me, and I thought it was super creepy. Uh, very creepy. Yes. Very creepy. And it's oh, based on a true story? 
It's a true story. Okay, so that's even more horrifying to me. So I don't know if I'm going to have the the guts to watch that. So um, yeah, it, it takes a bit of guts. It really okay. does. I'll tell you, that's brave. <laughs> even brave to play the guy, right? So yeah. okay, what else do we got? Well, we have two Jesse Eisenberg things, and I'm really glad because you know that we're meant to go into theater, but they're now on VOD. Jesse is a tremendous actor. So the first one's called Vivarium. And you know how people have no use for the suburbs? They always say to me, what's it like to live in the suburbs? And I'm like, what are you talking about? But they have this reputation of being boring and homogeneous and everything. And of course, they're not. But this film, Vivarium, it's, it's um, like a false world that's created. A young couple in the real world goes to a real estate agent to get a home. So they pick number nine this endless tract of green shoe boxes, mint green shoe boxes. So they move in. It follows them for decades in this place. <laughs> it's quite extraordinary. I, laugh, I have to admit, I laughed out loud watching the trailer at a couple of spots. It's a very dark commentary. Very dark, very funny. And you're like, oh. It's like a waking nightmare, really worth seeing. And, of course, it's on Apple TV. So that's, uh, you know, all the more reason to go on Apple. So Jesse next, he's in, again, a true story called Resistance, which is a Holocaust thing. Now, Marcel Marceau, the famous mime, I would see him on the variety shows back in the 60s and 70s and uh, sort of took him for granted. Well, he grew up as a Jew in Paris during the occupation and he was a resistance fighter, and he saved thousands of children. I thousands. Did, not, did not know that. That's incredible. I know, right? So, uh, so Jesse plays Marcel Mangan, and we see how he takes these kids out, and it's just absolutely nerve-shredding at times um, as they escape from this train and run towards the Swiss neutral borderline. Honestly, and he's chased by this group of Nazis, including Klaus Barbie, who was the butcher of Lyon. Of course, Lyon is where most of the uh, most of the action took place. But oh, wow, it is something else. The trailer looked fantastic. So, but you yeah. have another one coming up on Amazon that you said is going to be trending fast, and that is the Loop. Tales from the Loop. Oh my goodness. So we have Rebecca Hall and Jonathan Price starring. Um, and Paul Schneider, they play a family living in a, in a sort of remote area. Now, Jonathan Price, who's elderly, is running this place called The Loop, which is an underground futuristic factory. Initially, I think we're set in, in the 60s, maybe early 70s, and um, the kids aren't allowed to go underground. But what they have there, we go down eventually because, of, because events force us to. Uh, something called The Echo, which changes time, and uh, there are a number of machines that do weird things, and there's one, and it just becomes so emotional. There's this one ball that you stand inside, you can look inside, and you can see your life going, coming up. Interesting. Gives me chills thinking about it. Is it a little it. like that one on Ever. Netflix? What's that one called on Netflix? Black Mirror? Dark Mirror? No. Well, no, it's... It's, that's a series of standalones. This is, um, I think it's eight episodes around this one family, each episode following one specific person. Okay. 
And I watched as many I was given, which was two. And I'm absolutely enchanted by it. If you think about your future and your past and how it all connects in your family, wow, it's really creative. Okay, and quickly, we got to wrap it up, but you also, also, Jason Bateman's back, and I love him. I love him. It's good. Uh, Ozark, season three is starting, and of course, they have the Memphis Bell, the Missouri, what is it? The Missouri Bell up and running, and he wants to call it quits and just deal with what they have. She, Laura Linney, wants to and does in secret commune with a with the drug cartel leader to expand their business. So this is going to be, it sounds like a Seinfeld episode, but uh, this is what they're dealing with. And of course, Ruth is just a piece of work. Um, She's a fabulous actress, fabulous actress. Isn't she just? Isn't she just? So, and then I just want to mention Disney nature documentaries on Disney Plus. I love them. They don't get enough notice. Well, we could all we could all use a little time communing with nature right now from our living room. So That's thank you. So this is all going to be up on uh, the website on what she said. And Anne, we're going to see you again next week because we need you more than ever. Stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 105.9 The Region. Just remember to keep the faith And love will be there to light the way Today is the third in a series of four on caregivers in Ontario with Ontario Caregivers Organization. Back in the studio is the lovely Amy Kupal, the CEO of Ontario Caregivers Organization. I'm so glad you're here. Great to be back again. So previously we discussed the sandwich generation uh, and the importance of peer support for caregivers. But today we're going to be focusing in on the younger caregivers and sort of the unique challenges that they face. You know, young caregivers are a personal passion of mine. I was a young caregiver myself more years ago than I would like to count. But we also know that the needs and circumstances of young caregivers are very different than Ontario's other caregivers. So when you were a young caregiver, define that for me. How old were you when you were a young caregiver? So for me, um, I started caregiving uh, from a very early age. My older brother had cerebral palsy. So from about the age of five, I was doing some, you know, helping around the house and supporting in a way that might have been different from my peers. And that certainly continued uh, into my early adulthood before he passed away, where I would do my shift at the hospital or uh, taking to appointments and that kind of thing. My brother wasn't able to speak. So having an advocate with him was an important part of everybody's responsibility in our family. And, you know, caregiving can look very different depending on who a young person is caring for. We have good data on caregivers ages 50 to 25, and we know that they are often caring for either a sibling or a parent and sometimes a grandparent. Wow. That's a lot of stress on a young person. So there are over 500,000 young caregivers in Ontario. That's right. So we have an estimated 3.3 million caregivers in the province, of which half a million of those are young caregivers, at least that we know of from the data. That number could be higher. Could be, right. And so there's got to be special challenges for that, right? So what impact does caregiving have for those under the age of 25? 
One of the things we're keenly aware of, and I appreciate so much the research that's actually being done here in Ontario on this, is that because young caregivers are at such a formative stage in their lives, it impacts their education, their Mm -hmm. education pathways, and therefore their employment pathways. So we see young caregivers making choices about even the courses they take in high school and and certainly their post-secondary decisions in terms of education and or employment. So perhaps not feeling like they can move away to take a program that they might like to take because they've got to be home to continue with their caregiving Mm -hmm. responsibilities. We also see that young caregivers are often inspired to participate in some kind of employment pathway based on their caregiving experience. Not necessarily Uh, what they want, their dreams or passions, but based on sort of their circumstances, right? Well, it's been formative. So it may, you know, it becomes quite tethered in terms of, you know, what their dreams and aspirations might be. Mm -hmm. But we're also really uh, looking Looking at the emotional and personal impact on young caregivers in terms of uh, increased risks of depression, anxiety, and some of those things that we've talked about with caregivers in general around that feeling of isolation or other emotional challenges that that, that can come up. Right. So you, um, there was something I was reading here that says that they grow up very quickly and they lose their childhood as well. So all of those feelings have to be dealt with as well, right? Mm-hmm. So Ontario Caregivers is giving them a safe space to sort of say those feelings without judgment and without feeling like they're, you know, because that must that must come with it, right? Like they must feel bad if they complain, right? You would feel like, oh, like this person I'm caring for has it so bad. I, I don't have a right to say anything, but that's not the case, right? You know, it's very interesting. One of the things that I made a note of early on in this role is how many people wanted to talk about guilt. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a factor for young caregivers and and adults as well that, you know, sometimes it's hard to articulate that this is frustrating or I feel like this is impacting my life in other ways. And so for young caregivers and, and other caregivers as well, we really see that having somebody to talk to that you trust is really, really important. And that may be somebody at school, that may be somebody in your community, there may be a young caregiver program, uh, there are a number number of, of great programs in different communities in Ontario. And so we are looking to see more of those kinds of offerings available so that wherever you are in the province as a young caregiver, you've got somebody to connect with where you feel safe to talk about all those feelings. Right. So many caregivers don't look at themselves as a young caregiver, though. Mm-hmm. So why why do they not do they feel old before their time? Like, why do they not view themselves as a young caregiver? You know, in general, most caregivers don't identify as a caregiver. Mm. We say, I'm doing this role as a sister or a daughter or mm-hmm. a son or a father or a community member. That's why we do these things. And so one of the things that we're doing is helping people to understand the importance of identifying as a caregiver. It can support conversations in healthcare settings. It can support rallying around that circle of care and uh, and we see that as an important step but generally young caregivers don't do it because it's just not a common term and mm-hmm. in particular if they're caring for a family member that's why they're taking on that caregiving role right and so they feel it's something they they would just do anyway right they exactly. just haven't given it the label so what are some tips to offer a young caregiver who's feeling 
particularly burnt out. Yeah. So definitely talking to somebody you trust is key. And that may be a family member. It may be uh, another professional in your life or a friend. There are also some great resources online, things like Big White Wall, that kind of thing, where you can go and and connect. We would love to see young caregivers have some kind of self-care plan. Mm -hmm. And I want to acknowledge that the term self-care is something we're really talking about actively with caregivers because some people don't like that term. And there's a lot of different reasons why that is. And we we may evolve our language on that. But we want to make sure that young caregivers have a plan that's for them. Well, I where think that we, we've giving. started to equate self-care with like face masks and bubble baths. And that's <laughs> really not that's yeah. really not what self-care is. Self-care is, you know, getting the right amount of sleep that you need. Exactly. Getting Exercise. outside, eating properly, like all of those things. Because if you if you let yourself run down, then you can't really be in a position to care for somebody else, right? That's exactly it. We have our new website, youngcaregiversconnect.ca, and we'll have some specific tips for young caregivers on that site around keeping the gas in the tank for you to keep Mm -hmm. going, keeping your energy up and getting the support that you need. We also have a 24-7 helpline that's available to all caregivers. And so young caregivers would be able to access that in English or French. And we also have an online chat through our website at ontariocaregiver.ca that's available Monday to Friday from 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. Oh, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Okay, so you're, you were a young caregiver. So how did that experience, so how is it different than that of an adult or caregiver mm-hmm. for you? Well, I think for me personally, as a young caregiver, I really was a part of that care team. I knew my parents were the ones who were in charge, and then they did a very good job of looking at how I could be involved in an age-appropriate way. Different young caregivers have a wide range of experiences. So we hear about young people administering medication at a very young age or doing things like lifting or taking parents to appointments. So the range of experiences for young caregivers can truly be broad. Mm -hmm. Okay, so... How can young caregivers be supported then? So what's the best way? So obviously through your organization, which is doing amazing work. Mm -hmm. And then I would also be looking at what are the local programs that are available. We'll be sharing out on our on our website and on Young Caregivers Connect as well uh, where they could go locally if there's a program that's available. We'd love to see them connect with their local community because we hear regularly that young caregivers feel such a sense of support by connecting with other young people. And also uh, getting back to your previous question about how it's different from adults, there is this sense, you know, you just can't understand, mm-hmm. but another young caregiver can. So whether you connect with them online or face-to-face, we think that that's important. We're also working with uh, educators and employers on how to engage with young caregivers, because one of the things we want to be sure is that they have the best pathways for mm-hmm. their education and their employment, so that all the range of options that are open for any young person are open for young caregivers as well. Right. And that's important so they don't feel trapped, right? So that's so great. I love that you're doing this. Thank you so much for coming in again today. We have one more coming up with you next week. I'm excited to have you back and join us. But for now, people can go to ontariocaregivers.ca. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Amy. Thank you. Daddy 
Daddy makes sure that kids like me are safe and warm. He makes windows and doors. That gets rid of drafts, provides security, and adds style to your home or office. My Daddy says that not all doors and windows are equal. At Wintech, they make the best so people save money and get real value. My Daddy has never lied to me, so if you need new windows or doors, go to Wintech.ca and ask for a free quote. And when he calls you, tell him Maya sent you. Go to Wintech.ca today. Is spring cleaning on your mind? Let the professionals at Messy Made make short order of your cleaning needs. Get the people you can trust to put the shine back in your home or business. Go to MessyMade.com to arrange a quote. Mark Stolo is the president of the Canadian Caregiver Network and CEO of Huddle. Through a partnership between Huddle and Teva Canada, the Caregiver Friendly Pharmacy online program was developed to train pharmacists to support caregivers with expert caregiving resources and advice. And we had this interview bookmarked quite a few weeks before this has happened with COVID. So I imagine that this need is greater than ever. Yeah, I mean, you have, you know, we have 8 million caregivers across Canada. And now that people are more isolated in their homes, it's putting even more pressure on families who are providing care to loved ones who are not feeling well and who have either chronic health problems or acute health problems. I would I would venture to guess in some situations, people who are might be dealing with COVID themselves. You know, I have a friend whose husband uh, came back from France and has COVID. So she's now in a caregiving situation. And then added to that are family members who may be estranged from loved ones who are in healthcare facilities like long-term care or hospitals, and they have no access to these people. So they're not really sure what's going on. Um, so it's, there's a kind of double strain now for caregivers out there. Okay, so let's, let's just go to the beginning here so people know um, what it is that Teva does. So what, what role does Teva play in caregivers' lives? Yeah, so Teva, you know, Teva as a pharmaceutical company is producing life-saving drugs. Um, particularly unique that Teva has taken on this, re- this commitment to family caregivers because in most pharmaceutical talk, you know, there's a real big focus on the patient. So we were very keen to collaborate with them on a family-focused initiative, on a caregiver-focused initiative, with the idea of recognizing caregivers as essential partners in the healthcare experience. Right? Because our healthcare system tends to be totally focused on the patient's needs. And oftentimes the caregivers are just kind of invisible and in the background. But we know, for example, like in chronic care, family members take on 80% of the care responsibility. So with Teva, we wanted to recognize that because family takes take on so much, that it was really critical that we have and give them access to more resources. Okay, so how, tell me then more about how you're fostering that relationship between the caregiver and the pharmacist. Yeah, so we we worked with Teva on building a program called the Caregiver Friendly Pharmacy. And the idea was that pharmacists are such an important touch point for family caregivers. And they're also a much easier to access resource, right? So a caregiver is much more likely to see their pharmacist more often than their GP or a specialist. We also recognize that a lot of pharmacists didn't really understand the dynamic with family members when they came in. So we built out a program that kind of has two components to it. One was a, an accredited training for pharmacists that has three parts. So really like 
understanding the landscape of caregivers' lives. How can you better support and service them in pharmacy? What kinds of tools can you give them to better manage at home and with their loved ones? So a, a very thorough training. And then the second component was an online environment where caregivers could go and download, download resources, uh, discover where a caregiver-friendly pharmacy was close to them so they could maximize the benefit of visiting a caregiver-friendly pharmacy, um, learning tools, um, insightful videos. So it's kind of a depth of information that caregivers can access through the Teva Caregivers Portal. You know, you, you've sort of enlightened me a little bit about, you know, just in thinking through this conversation about that role that caregivers would play with a pharmacist. I mean, when I need a, a prescription, I go in myself, I speak for myself. There has to be a little bit of an added stress, I think, for a caregiver who is advocating for somebody who cannot be there and to relay the information properly to the pharmacist in terms of side effects and how the, how the patient is feeling. So that relationship does become quite crucial, I would think. Yeah, it's, it's enormous. It's interesting. When we went and talked to pharmacists about the relationship to caregivers, one of the things they said to us is, boy, family members ask a lot more questions. Well, and yeah, we when you're speaking for somebody else, right? Yeah. And we weren't, to your point, we weren't so surprised to hear that because when you feel like someone's life, you're responsible for someone's life to an extent, right? You know, their care, their, their health, their health outcomes, you're going to ask a lot more questions. So they're much more inquisitive, much more curious. And to your point, you want to make sure that when a family member comes into pharmacy, not only are they equipped to provide care, you know, to dispense medication, to, to report on outcomes and potential side effects, but you also want to make sure that they're not suffering in that care experience, that they're not becoming overwhelmed, that they're not experiencing excessive burden. So from a pharmacist's perspective, we were saying to them, yes, this is a very important partner, but don't also forget that this is potentially a client who also needs your attention. Right. So tell me then a little bit about the um, pharmacy that the training that you provide um, pharmacy teams is that this is not just the pharmacist. This is the whole team behind the counter that gets this training, right? Yeah, it's, it's really a team effort because it's not only just communicating information about treatment. It's making sure that, you know, caregivers have access to supplies in store that will help them at home. It's the cashier checking in with them because most local pharmacies know their clients. So it's like, you know, hey, Lisa, how have you been doing? I can see that you, you know, you look a little tired. Are you feeling okay? Is there something we can do for you? So to really reinforce this whole team approach to caregiver support, I mean, we've trained now through the Caregiver Friendly Pharmacy Program about 1,600 pharmacists and pharmacist technicians and people. That's in. fantastic. When did you launch this then? So we did, we started a pilot um Last, in 2018, we piloted the program in Quebec. And then in 2019, we started rolling out across Canada. And then we started mapping all the pharmacies that have done the accredited training and are equipped to be caregiver-friendly pharmacies. Um, and far, uh, caregivers can go to tevacaregivers.com and see all of the different pharmacies in their neighborhood that where they can go in and have this kind of extra support. That's fantastic. Okay, so how many Canadians are now accessing um, this service then through, through you? Yeah, so there's kind of two tiers to the service. We know that about 10,000 people per month are going to the Teva Caregiver portal online, uh, downloading resources. There's handbooks there. Um, there's tools to be able to like track your healthcare professionals in your network, tools to help you better relate to pharmacists. So that's a lot of people per month. And then in addition to that, 
our platform, the Huddle platform, where people can come and connect with peers and professionals in an online environment. Right now, we're you know we have about twenty five thousand people per month visiting that community. So there's a very big demand out there, and in particular now, obviously, with people needing more and more online help and access to digital resources, just because they're so you know isolation, less physical contact. Right. And I feel like this is uh, a, a more important tool than ever right now because of that, because it's, it's accessible online. Um, and I, I suspect that you, you have pharmacists who can communicate with each other and, and share knowledge as well in that other portal, right? Yeah. So we have through the Teva portal, it's more the conversations more directly with caregivers. Pharmacists can check in and download their own resources and make those available to caregivers. On Huddle, it's very social exchange built. So yes, we have some pharmacists, we have lots of caregivers, they can exchange socially in our environment. Our caregivers can also talk to their peers and you know we have a range of multidisciplinary professionals on Huddle from nurses to occupational therapists to you, know, you name it. So our environment's built to be much more um, interactive. The Teva portal is very education driven, very inform- information driven, a lot of downloadable resources there as well. So where, what is the website where people go to then? Yeah, so the Teva uh, portal is tevacaregivers.com. Um, the Huddle resource is huddle.com, spelled a little differently. It's H-U-D-D-O-L.com. Both are free to the public. Uh, people can go and visit, um, get educational supports. With Huddle, people can connect at any time. Uh, we've got a, a massive network and community of people sharing there. And so I just want to flag sort of one thing for people who are listening, because you have a caregiver self-assessment form uh, that helps people to flag signs of burnout or fatigue. And I think that's going to be super crucial right now um, in the next few months. So uh, so that is available on um, Teva or Huddle? That's available on the Teva caregiver portal, yeah. Okay, great. So we'll put that up on the video so people can go get that uh, self-assessment form to um, look for signs for themselves. Yeah, in particular now, I think it's, it's you know, the, the level of stress right now for most people is through the roof. Um, you know, for example, we had a member join Huddle the other day, a, a young woman who's caring for her child with autism. She has a brother in hospital who's been diagnosed with COVID. So not only is she estranged from services that she would typically get in her house, so she's alone at home caring for her child with autism. She's a young mom. She has no access to her brother in hospital because she can't see him. So she's now kind of a double duty caregiver, but on one side of that caregiver equation has no, has no touch point with her family members. So these are the kinds of strains and stressors that many, many family members are dealing with. So to your point, understanding what your threshold is, you know, when are you getting close to a stage of burnout in particular is important right now. So that caregivers aren't kind of toppling over the edge of just feeling completely wiped out. Okay. All right. Thank you so much for joining me today, Mark. Uh, um, This is really important information to uh, get out to people right now uh, as caregivers are feeling the stress more than most. Absolutely. Thank you for your time. That's it for what she said this week from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for tuning in this week. I and the team from 105.9 The Region will continue to be here for you to keep you informed and entertained as we plank the curve. Be sure to follow me on What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. You can also subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson 
on Apple and Spotify for extended interviews and complete shows. See you next week. Until then, stay home and stay safe. Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com. Hey listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer. Such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster and not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100% because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcasts wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.